Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. Okay, we're talking about divorce and what causes it. And, you know, um, we have to wonder, you know, when when do most divorces happen? That's that's a first prognosis that we have to look at. You know, for those who end up divorced, there seems to be like this magic number of when. No, no matter where in the world you're, you're from or in what culture you've been raised, you're most likely to get a divorce around four years into your marriage. Even more fascinating is why our human brains have evolved to hone a drive for love and partnership that lasts just long enough to raise a single child through infancy. And so partnering has allowed women to raise children and their male partners to provide for and protect them while the children is young. But after that, we're as like mammals, basically. Uh, we're driven to procreate with more than one partner in order to have the strongest genetic legacy. And this comes from our genetic background. So that's the temptation. And if you're having children with two or three men rather than just one, you're creating more genetic variety in our kids. So in other words, millions of years, some primitive form of divorce was probably an adaptive mechanism to create a more genetic variety. I'm not saying that this is what everybody does. I'm just saying that on the average in divorce land, it's about four years in, about four years. And, uh, you know, on a much smaller scale in, in modern day American culture, one divorce uh, basically, the uh, the average age for divorce, excuse me, is to be more like uh, five to eight years into the marriage. Um, so, you know, somewhere in that period, four, four to eight, uh, this has been hypothesized by a lot of studies uh, that that is what happens. You know, uh, no matter when it happens, uh, more often than not, it's about disappointment. People come into marriage with really unrealistic expectations of how it's going to be, how they're going to live, when it comes down to everyday issues, money, children, jobs, it doesn't happen the way you plan it. And so when people divorce, they often have new expectations that are just as messed up as the previous ones that are even more perfectionistic about what they expect from their partner because now they know, they think they know what they're shopping for. Unfortunately, this doesn't work out either. So let's look at the word expectations. Well, you know, expectations are what leads to depression. So an unmet expectation has a lot of emotional content to it, especially if you want your partner to be a mind reader. And so theoretically, what happens with an expectation is we begin nagging about the expectation and nagging, expecting it to be heard, even if it's completely unreasonable. And God forbid you have it inside yourself to hold an unreasonable expectation and never communicate it. So what basically happens is we tend to go, okay, I expect to have no conflict. I expect her to, he or she, to agree with me. I expect them to be a good partner with children. I expect them to make money. I expect them to spend more time at home. I expect their priorities to be all on me. You know, the bottom line is 
these expectations are so depressing because they have all this emotional context to it. And the way you alleviate it is so simple. I prefer. You know, I'd prefer you were a better parent. You know, I'd prefer you showed up on time at home. I'd prefer you you were able to fulfill your promises. I'd prefer you made more money. I'd prefer you took more responsibility. I'd prefer you weren't so argumentative. Well, guess what? You can communicate a preference all day long and never offend because you're just communicating what you would like. And then you're able to alleviate the need to have all this emotional context of unmet expectations. Wouldn't that be a relief? You know, there's a few triggers that tend to start the ball rolling, and almost all of them are rooted in money. But while finances are underlying nearly every divorce situation, there are oftentimes a lot of other reasons that play a role too. The major issues uh, that predict divorce is obviously infidelity, and it bewilders sometimes the partner that's having the the, the infidelity that their partner would be upset about it. Because they don't realize the partner takes it personal and they think it's about them rather than being about the idiot that has the affair and that doesn't believe in covenants or contracts that can't be trusted. So basically, they break, they break their, uh, their promises and uh, destroy their integrity and have an infidelity and then they expect their partner to be cool with that. Well, they're not going to be cool with it most of the time. You know, drug and alcohol abuse or physical abuse, those are big, big time situations that drive divorce. Situations where people just can't communicate anymore or one party has control issues and the other party is being abused by that person because they're a control freak. You know, some people think they should be the boss of the home and the boss of everyone's life rather than live as a grateful, uh, humble human being. You know, there was a study back in 2013 that concluded that almost the most common reasons for divorce is a lack of commitment to the partnership, uh, which would means there's probably a ton of resentment, infidelity, conflict or excessive arguing, domestic violence, and substance abuse. And of course, there's situations where people quite simply fall out of love. You know, romantic love is a very specific brain system, just like the fear system and the anger system and the startle system and the surprise system. It becomes activated quite rapidly, and it can become less activated or even deactivated almost instantly or gradually. And so when people fall out of romantic love, someone thinks they have to do something about it. Well, you know, we as creatures fall in and out of love all the time. And the fact is that when you're married, you fall in and out of love throughout the marriage. It just happens. And it depends on how good your communication is and how much, and especially this one, how much you trust each other. All of your conflicts in marriage have everything to do with trust. And if you can define the trust issues and if you take them serious and you don't have secrets and you talk about your problems, And you talk about your mistrust and you resolve those mistrusts by saying, I need you to have faith in me that I won't do that. That's the bridge to trust. Faith is the bridge to trust. Then what basically happens in a marriage is that people build a foundation that they know what their partner is got their back and they don't have to freak out all day long wondering where they're at, what they're doing and micromanaging their life. 
And when we don't have trust issues, the love grows. And so we don't care in counseling about how much you love each other. What we care about is how much you trust each other because that can be resolved. Love cannot be resolved, what you feel each day for your partner, but trust can be resolved. And that's the work of marriage. And if you can't be trustable as a human being, don't get married. Don't have children. Don't create victims in your life. If you can't even trust yourself, it's time you develop a relationship with yourself that you can trust so that others can trust you. And if that can happen, then make your commitments. But don't make a commitment in life that just because you think you're supposed to, that's not going to work. You need to learn how to trust yourself. And how do you do that? Well, you learn how to say no to things that hurt you. That's called wisdom. That's called taking opportunities that come in front of you in life as they are. These opportunities are in front of you. Yes, I can have an affair. I can do this bad thing. I can take advantage financial. I could do this. I could do that. Well, bottom line is if you say no to these opportunities that you know are not wise, you're walking with God. Yeah, from a Christian perspective, that's exactly the truth. That's all that's wanted from you. Be wise. When you make choices, be wise and think of all the others that you're hurting. You know, because we make all these commitments in life and then we do stupid things. They have an impact. They have an impact on your family. They have an impact on your children, which are the true victims of divorce. Because suddenly their income goes in half. They have two angry parents mad at each other. They have to spend time with two different households with two different sets of, of um, ways of discipline. And they basically have to absorb the idea that they have to be with another person as a step-parent and potentially a bunch of hoodlums that they bring into it. And so their life suddenly becomes full of compromise, nothing like what they grew up in, <clears throat> not unconditional positive regard, not unconditional love, just complete destruction. And then when they're married, their parents are married to someone else, the the married person has to align with the step-parent, which causes the child to be alienated. And this, in fact, destroys a lifetime of a relationship with a child, especially if you marry an unhealthy partner. But to understand that we've uh, activated that uh, phenomenon of romantic love, you have to back up and ask how people fall in love. Romantic love is basically a drive. It's a generated, and this is called the honeymoon phase, and this is where people make all kinds of emotional and stupid decisions, but it's generated in this little factory near the very base of our brain called the ventral uh, uh, tegmental area, and that's where dopamine is made. And dopamine is sent to many brain regions when you're madly in love. And that basically gives you the focus, the motivation, the optimism, and the craving that's so central to feeling romantic love. So when you look at it through the brain system lens, the logic flows that the same way you can stop being scared of something, you can stop being in love. It's almost like a switch. But it's also important to note that falling out of love doesn't mean a marriage will end. It's one of the three brain systems that are associated with partnering. And one is the sex drive, the second is the feelings of intense romantic love, and the third is feeling deeply attached to your partner. And you want to be nurturing all of those in your marriage, 
in your communication. That's called unconditional positive regard, good old Carl Rogers. That's called gratefulness, being grateful for your partner and all that they do and focusing on that rather than nitpicking them to the end of time. But I will also tell you, and I've said this in many other uh, 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 shows on marriage, a woman is going to manage basically the idea of how well is my marriage operating off of one concept, and that is called am I cherished? And if a woman doesn't feel cherished, what she's going to do is nag you until the end of time because she's wondering who you are cherishing, what are you cherishing, and are you ever going to pay any attention to me? And now I'm not on your radar. My love language isn't getting filled. My needs aren't being met, and I'm lonely, and you're lonely, and I'm going to punish you for not cherishing me. And so that becomes the resentments that build up in a marriage. And then the man, what a man wants is a little bit different, um, but it also is a part of being cherished. And that is he wants to be heard. He wants to feel respected. If a man feels like he has a voice in his home, he's emasculated. If he doesn't feel like he has a voice with his wife and she won't hear him and she refuses to allow him to speak, She refuses to agree with him. She refuses to even listen to him or even validate him. What basically will happen is uh, he will move into a state of uh, not trusting her emotionally, not opening up, having lots of secrets and resentments and feeling demasculated because he has no voice. And then the children will reflect what the mother does and do the same thing to the dad. So it's really important for us to get our acts together and grow up in a marriage and do conflict as adults. And adults do simple things like when they have a conflict, they keep their voice flat. They state their emotions rather than demonstrate them. They don't make emotional decisions. They don't make emotional statements. They stay flat and straight so the words can be heard and they state their emotions. You know, I'm really frustrated. I'm really upset that this hasn't happened. They don't use a lot of tone, verbosity, body language. It's not a a, a Broadway production. It's flat and straight, simple, simple. And that's called adult conflict. And if you can do that, you can teach your children to do that and then you don't have their Broadway productions. Very important to be able to learn to do that and exercise that skill. Then you can do conflict 24 by seven and it's not nearly as stressful as what it used to be. The other thing is the receiver needs to validate the feelings. And if you're willing to do that in marriage, that's called being humble rather than egotistical, then guess what? You're gonna have better communication because the job in marriage, and this is what people get screwed up all the time, is to hear each other. It's not to be right. It's to hear each other. That doesn't mean you have to agree. What it means is you simply validate your partner's perspective and you don't offer your perspective unless they ask you. Just shut up, listen, validate. I understand, so what you're saying is this. I hear what you're saying. You're saying blah, 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 blah. I get it. There's no sense to give them a bunch of back talk. Just listen. And if you do that, guess what? You don't have circular arguments that you never resolve for 20, 25, 30 years, if you last that long. And guess what? Life gets a lot better 
because we're willing to hear each other's differences. You don't marry someone to change them. And that's what a lot of people try to do. They try to marry someone that has maybe a lower sense of self-esteem or a lot more problems than they have so that they can feel like they're in charge. There you have the ego boost. They married down. They married down so they can feel like powerful. But all they all of a sudden they have to hear all their, their mouth and have to listen to all their stupidity because they marry someone below them. And that's not a good idea, but a lot of people do that out of pure insecurity. And it's unfortunate. And so if you're going to marry someone, you have to have the endurance to hear them no matter how stupid it may find. I apologize for the noise above me. Somebody's like hanging a picture or something. You know, it's definitely possible to stay in love for a long time, but people don't actually expect to, and you don't have to in the, in the same way. They're, they're deeply attached, and they still like the person's sense of humor. They still like to make love to them, and there's a comfortable relationship that they like to keep. You know, when a marriage does fall apart, there are real psychological issues that present themselves. One of them is a huge loss of attachment. The other is the, the feeling of being alone in life, which is what most people's great fears are. And the other one is who even cares about me and how am I ever going to be buried? Is anybody going to show up to my funeral? And is my work my life? Is that going to be who I am? You know, there's a lot of things of resorting that we have to do when divorce happens. It's one of the most dramatic things that can happen in your life. And I will also tell you, you never know who you married until you divorce them. And when you divorce them, they know exactly how to hurt you. And guess what they do? And a lot of them use attorneys to do this, is they try to t turn the screws on you, even if it costs them what they could get from you. They would rather hurt you than receive the money from you or maybe get both. All right. It's time to take a break. We'll come back. We're going to talk about how to prevent divorce. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Listen for Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young. Her show topics cover creating lasting transformation in challenging environments and how creating change can have an impact on the success of individuals from a mind, body, and spirit perspective. It's going to be inspiring and uplifting each week. So tune in on Tuesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. And also listen on the Voice America Business and Influencers Channels. Transformation takes one step at a time. It's time. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest... 
please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're talking about divorce and, and what, what happens when, uh, what causes it. You know, it, it's, it's <laughs> just looking at divorce itself. You know, when people plan to have a certain future in life with another person, it's incredibly um, difficult to adapt to a new way of living. Just the logistic alone, you're stressful. In a divorce, you're dividing assets, you're potentially moving, you're figuring out custody. Almost everyone who's been through this will also tell you there's embarrassment and maybe even guilt and shame and regret. You know, people who think about their own situations instead of giving support, uh, like you've been infected with the divorce virus, and, and they better not get too close and they might catch it too. And so people don't want to get involved in a divorce situation because they're afraid that it'll happen to them um, because it'll rub off. Because people, when they get divorced, yes, they go through a lot of emotional turmoil, but then they tend to meet somebody else, hit the funny uh, honeymoon phase, and all of a sudden they're happy, happy, happy. Well, if you've been eating manna for 40, 40 years, and uh, that's all you wake up to in the morning or oatmeal or anything like that. And all of a sudden somebody puts a pizza in front of you. Well, yes, your mood's going to change dramatically. And that's what happens in divorce is people go through this high period after they've dealt with their existential angst of being alone. And then all of a sudden they find someone else, they anchor on that. And guess what? They, they, they start to look at all their problems with their children and everybody else. This can be solved. But the problem is the children don't always adapt. And the other partner doesn't always adapt to your new needs. And so things get stinky and things get awful and things get difficult. But the other problem is, let's say you have a partner who ends up hanging around with somebody that is getting divorced. That person is going to talk and try to sell you on the idea of the divorce is a good thing. And all of a sudden you're going to want to get a divorce. I can't tell you how many people that have met someone that's getting divorced and suddenly out of the blue, they want to get divorced because they've done something. What other thing that drives me nuts is in counseling, especially with men, they tend to, well, both, both of them do this, but they, they tend to be like um, having, they've been having an, an emotional affair for a long time and maybe even a physical affair. And now they're so convinced that the other person is perfect. They've been talking about their life and their family, what they're going to do in their future, all this wonderful stuff. And all of a sudden, their partner finds out that they're having an affair. Well, they either come back with apathy, like, I'm sick of you, let's get divorced, or then they want to change it. They want to fight it. And then the other person gets resentful, and they want to let your wife or husband know what's been going on because they think they're entitled to be with that person. So that also creates a whole difficult soup of problems, especially when you are married and you start having an affair and start telling this other person, emotional or physical, start talking to this person about the future. Well, you're setting yourself up for a conflict where you're going to definitely get divorced or you're definitely going to have a hard time winning trust from anyone because anybody that has an affair or an infidelity while they're married 
guess what? When you marry the other person you had the infidelity with, they're never going to trust you either because you did it to your wife and now they're the wife or the husband. And guess what? They have to wonder if you're doing that to them. And so that creates enormous amounts of conflict. Unfortunately, people are so addicted emotionally to affairs because they're so so stubborn and too, too egotistical to even work on their issues in marriage and build trust back, which will motivate the need to love each other and create memories. Even if they have kids, they could care less when they get locked into this emotional abyss of what could happen with their life and how it could change and all the possibilities and all the things that their kids will get. They just sell, sell, sell themselves on a bad decision. Happens all the time. You know, the process of divorce is particularly traumatic for those who have an attachment or depression issues. Uh, The significance and the process of separating from a loved one can trigger a lot of trauma, uh, issues around attachment, deregulation of your moods, and people with a history of addiction or maladaptive coping mechanisms are particularly at risk because the intensity of emotions that rise. And especially if they're depressed, they're uh, not going to feel like a person that's worth it or attractive to another person. Therefore, they try to salvage their marriage, even if their partner is a complete piece of crap. You know, There are certain personality types and traits that may actually predispose someone into getting divorced in the first place. Well, guess what those might be? Depression, narcissism, borderline personality, codependency. These kind of folks, histrionic people, people that are hysterical, that need everybody's attention. These kind of people have a prevalence to have affairs, to try to get their own way, and to marry the opposite of who they are in order to make the other person feel completely crazy so they don't have to take any accountability for the fact that they are the crazy one, absolutely, with a personality disorder that can never be medicated because it's a personality disorder likely created from trauma in childhood. Yes, there may be some depressive qualities that can be medicated, but all in all, the operating system is the operating system. You know, um, people with borderline personalities have a tendency to never align with people. They, they, they have this idea of sexual contact is everything. They, they want to, they do guilt and shame. They make everybody gaslight. They feel like everybody's crazy, but they am. They, they can't be trusted and they can't even trust themselves. They're very destructive to anyone who tries to help them. And they love people who are codependent so they can torture them for the rest of their lives. Narcissists are the same way, gaslighting people so they think they're crazy uh, until they finally brainwash them, make them uh, uh, turn their life into the narcissist's life so everything that they do is based on what the narcissist wants rather than the human being that married them. And they do the same thing to their kids, gaslight them as if they're crazy, guilt and shame, warp their brains and turn them into their own disorder so that when they get married, they get to get divorced too because they have these personality traits based on the abuse. Should those folks get married? No. But do they? Yes, because everybody wants to procreate and think that that's a responsibility. But the fact is there's probably about 40 to 50 percent of the people out there are breeding stock and maybe 40 to 50 percent are parents to some level. And so we have to recognize in our society there's a ton of breeding stock out there. Go to your corner bar. Go to anywhere where people are drinking on a consistent basis. And guess what you got? 
breeding stock. That's the way it goes, folks. You know, um, people who are very expressive uh, of dopamine in the brain are generally risk-taking, novelty-seeking, curious, creative, spontaneous, energetic, uh, <laughs> com- <laughs> uh, obsessive, compulsive, maybe not obsessive, but probably compulsive and maybe obsessive to some degree. And this kind of person would be more likely to be restless in a lifelong relationship. On the other hand, people who are high on serotonin system, not dopamine, they're conventional, they're traditional, they're social, norm-conforming, and that's because serotonin builds neurological highways. And the more serotonin you have, the more active your brain can be, and the more it can self-soothe, and the more tools you have to actually calm yourself down and do the right thing and make a logical choice rather than emotional decisions. The other thing is, if you're going to marry someone, listen to their language. If they say, you make me feel, guess what? You don't make them feel anything. They choose to react and respond. That's what they do. The other thing is, if you hear them say, uh, I feel, I feel, I feel, and that's their major uh, uh, way of communicating is I feel, that means they make emotion-based decisions. And that should tell you a lot about their choices in life. That should tell you a lot about who they are as a person, because that means they base their decisions on their emotions, which we have about 5,000 emotions in a day, maybe 100 ruminating thoughts. So the deal is, if we're going to make emotional decisions, we're going to make a lot of stupid choices. And that means there's probably a lot of damage and a lack of integrity in a person's life when they operate off, I feel, I feel, I feel, especially if they want to tell you that you make them feel. And that's a sad thing, but life is filled with people like that. But you as a person need to understand if your partner is healthy or unhealthy, if you're hearing I feels, that's a good clue that maybe you should run for the border. Life after divorce. There's no set time frame or a playbook for what the process looked like. You know, everybody's journey is different. People need to be remembered to take care of themselves uh, before they can move forward. And, you know, there's a sadness to losing a loved one. It's important for both people to process their emotions and experiences. And that's what emotions are about. E-motions. Let the emotions move through you. Don't hang on to it. People in marriage vent to each other. That means that they make you uh, sound like you're the problem to their day, that they've had a bad day. And usually it's because they feel safer communicating to their spouse their emotions than they do to someone else. And they have a tendency to say you, 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 because maybe they will attribute a quality of somebody they can't stand to their partner because they can't say anything to the other person. So we tend to vent on each other. And you have to understand you can't be defensive when your partner's venting. You need to hear them and validate them. Doesn't mean you agree. Oh, I hear you, but you think this about me. I understand. Okay, that's fine. But we don't need to take it all in personally as my partner is trying to hurt me. Most of the time, people in marriage don't have bad intentions. They have bad outcomes. And so what you have to think about is in marriage, you owe it to each other to ask when you don't like something that's happened, okay, you showed up late uh, for dinner. Okay, so how is it that you couldn't show up to dinner on time? What is it that got in your way that made you think, you know, made you late? Well, 
I got caught in the, uh, with a train, and there was a lot of traffic, more than I anticipated, because there was an event uh, uh, somewhere on the highway, and it got in the way of creating a whole lot of traffic, so I couldn't get home in time. And I was checking my emails, and then all of a sudden the traffic let up, and I didn't contact you, and I'm very sorry. So now we know what the intentions are. Now we know what really happened. Well, that's what people who are married do. They presume the best intention, and they're just curious about the process that led to the bad outcome, rather than accusing you of purposely trying to hurt them. However, people are immature, and they tend to want to make someone else feel bad for what they have uh, witnessed or a commitment that didn't get made. And so this is a very important thing. The other thing is we need to manage our time and manage our commitments to our partners. If we're going to say we're going to do something, do it. Don't sit there and procrastinate and do what you feel. Don't divert your attention like you did when you were a kid. What you need to do is take your commitment to your partner serious because there's going to be a repercussion if you make a commitment to your partner and don't follow it. And that's called I don't trust you. And I don't trust yous don't heal very quickly. So if you're going to make a a decision to not follow through with your commitments, you're going to have a life of feeling nagged, guilt, shame, never can be the person I am. Because I don't allow my partner to trust me because I don't take accountability for my own personal decisions. Unfortunately, narcissists, borderlines, all kinds of people in that family don't ever want to take responsibility for anything. They evade, 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 just like Governor Cuomo. Evade, evade, evade all the time. So there's five stages of divorce and, and the first one goes into the same grieving process, and it's called denial. Denial is the first stage. It's not accepting this as your reality. It's used as a defense mechanism so people don't feel too emotionally overwhelmed. So they sit in denial for a while until they receive the paperwork. And then all of a sudden, there's, they're served, and emotions run high. And the next stage after suppressing them when in denial is anger. So people channel these emotions into hatred and blame during the anger stage. And then there's the bargaining phase. And individuals often look back at their relationship and replay these moments in which they think they could have impacted the outcome, which then leads to bargaining. And this may involve one partner trying to work things out and promising to make changes, or it could be a partner having doubts and questioning if he or she made the right decision. And this is an attempt to pump the brakes and get your life back. And then there's depression. Depression is when the reality of the situation sets in, and it's the toughest and often the longest phase. And oftentimes it happens when you're in court and being attacked and being lied to and being told lies about yourself and being told about warped realities and then being held responsible for all your despicable decisions during a marriage. All of that takes place in front of everybody because usually they're handling 10 or 20 cases all at the same time, and everybody gets to see everybody else's crap. And then there's acceptance. You know, acceptance is when you make peace with the situation, you find people for the future, people may start to feel like their old selves again, and a renewed sense of freedom and relief. And when people who are married meet people who are divorcing in the acceptance phase, that's a big danger. That's the big danger of creating like a romantic love 
creating the, the possibility that, yes, I could have something greater in my life because this person does and they're divorced. So acceptance doesn't mean all negative emotions are gone, but people will see the light at the end of the tunnel. And it's important to remember that grief comes in waves and it's not a linear journey. It, it just happens. And all of these emotions could happen at any time, all like a tidal wave, one after the other after the other. And as the grieving process goes, process goes on, it elongates. And so people often move through the grieving phase in about the first six months, but does it ever relieve them? No. It takes about three years, um, but do they ever uh, forget it? No. It's a pocket of, of time that they will never forget. It might be a blur to them, but they'll know they've been through something traumatic. There are, you know, there's of course couples that try to circumvent the stages by going into with a positive mindset, you know. Uh, this this approach can be effective if done the way it's intended. It strives to keep everyone's well-being in mind, including both the parents and the children. And that means that we're just going to consciously uncouple from each other. We're going to accept the fact that we're going to be divorced. We're going to be concerned and apathetic, but we're not going to come back together. So the decision is the decision, and now it's just a matter of how are we going to do it, and let's do the business deal of divorce Make it a business deal rather than an emotional attack, which attorneys want to make it an emotional attack. They will go, they said, what do you, why don't we do this? Why don't we file this? Why don't we, well, the more they file stuff, the more the, the pile of money grows for them. Wouldn't you do that if you were an attorney? Of course, they want to make money. All right, we're going to take another break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about divorce and kids. We're going to talk about the stages of divorce or stages of a breakup in order to save your marriage. So come back. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Listen for Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young. Her show topics cover creating lasting transformation in challenging environments and how creating change can have an impact on the success of individuals from a mind, body, and spirit perspective. It's going to be inspiring and uplifting each week. So tune in on Tuesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. And also listen on the Voice America Business and Influencers Channels. Transformation takes one step at a time. It's time. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. 
That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about divorce and uh, hopefully how to prevent it. You know, we got to look at kids, though, because they're the real victims of divorce. No matter how you go about it, divorce really impacts kids psychologically, physically, academically, behaviorally, financially, resources. Children will demonstrate the effect of divorce in various ways, and it's critical that they feel as though they have a space to express their own emotions and concerns. And, you know, it's never a bad idea to to look around and go, are there groups for divorced kids where they can talk about their parents' divorces, you know, and share with each other and be supportive to each other? For everyone involved, a support system is a key to survive, and so are boundaries. You know, when you're not alone in a problem, that makes your life so much easier and so much better because there's hope. You know, you can set the tone for how others can be supportive. You choose how and what you want to share. You listen to your gut. You also get uh, confusing if you have too many options from others. But your, your loved ones will not judge you. They just want to show up for you and help you get through this bad time in life uh, as you would hopefully for them. And, you know, the fact is divorce ranks just above death in the severity of stress And it's often combined with other stressors, such as discord, serious financial problems, a move, single parenting, multiple losses, litigation, all at once. And it's a life cycle crisis that really presents a crucial period of of increased vulnerability, heightened potential. With, With consciousness, the process can be edifying. Although not easy, it's extremely uh, rewarding because the, 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 in the long run, you feel better and learn from the experience so you don't have to repeat the same mistakes. But, you know, divorce consists of a lot of phases, cognitive, emotional, physical, legal, spiritual. And this order isn't usually what happens but uh, in the divorce court melodrama, but couples making the legal separation while they're still caught up in the drama of their relationship, they haven't separated emotionally, though they're physically apart. And so the emotional separation is a cornerstone for transformation. And, and so it's good sometimes to reset the table with your emotions when you're separated. You know, growth comes from taking responsibility for the marital problems rather than blaming. And finally, changing the dance. That means being humble enough to listen to your partner and to integrate their life into yours. From a Christian perspective, if you want to go from that, and I know a lot of people aren't, but if you go from that, the idea is is that you want to treat and learn how to love God through how you treat and love your partner. That is how we integrate God into our life by when we make choices, we also have to be making choices with our partner in mind. And that's either a dialogue with them or without them, but that means that we have always thought about them. If we make decisions in our own little vacuum of our brain, what tends to happen is a lot of problems come along because we haven't consulted our partner. You should over-consult your partner just like you should over-consult with God. But the real question is, 
is this a wise decision for my wife? Is this a wise decision for my husband? Is this a wise decision for God? And sometimes we need to go to them and consult and find out what the proper answer will be. You know, there, there's seeing your partner clearly and risking new behavior is uncomfortable, but you need to resist that, 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 that temptation. You know, since you're changing the dance steps and refusing to do the old routine, that means we're working on a new routine. Well, people are lazy and they want to do what's easiest. And that means to flip back into their problem patterns and to just do that and communicate from that perspective because they're lazy. But if they really care about themselves and their children and their lives, they need to submit themselves to their partner in a real way. That means to be vulnerable, to be humble, and to be real, and to listen, and to care, and to empathize, which a lot of people don't understand empathy. They walk through life without connecting to human beings. But here's the deal. Empathy means I care about your feelings. Empathy means I'm not going to join you and let you whine. I'm going to give you some alternatives that will help you. I want to give you alternatives to make your life better. I empathize through being constructive, and I empathize through listening and not giving you answers if you don't need them. You know, it's just like when you're with someone that's grieving or having a problem and they have a lot of sorrow. You just meet them where they're at. You don't try to solve the problem. You stay with them. That's all they need. They need to hear to be heard. But people are in their heads so much that they can't be fully present enough to hear their partner. They come home and they can think, I'll just turn it on automatic. I'll cope with my time at home. I'll plug into the television and ignore everybody else. Well, that's not what a home is for. Home is the purpose of why you go to work. So you should want to come home as quickly and as as fast as possible to see your loved ones and see the people who you're working so hard for. That's an important thing to do. So so in, in emotionally unbonding, people really do become different. And since they have a choice of new responses and behaviors and the drama subsides and the marital structure gradually falls away. But the physical and legal separation can then follow more smoothly. But, you know, is that really the goal? Could you possibly fall back in love with your partner? Well, if you want to develop a trust dialogue of where we don't trust each other and how we can mend that, you're probably not going to get there. And it means that you have to say, I just need you to have faith in me that I won't hurt you like this again. I want to have an affair. I, I need you to trust me that I won't spend money behind your back. I need you to have faith in me. I don't want you to trust me. I just need you to have faith in me so we can get to trust eventually on your terms. You know, uh, you may find yourself also in a lot of a lot of emotional stages of divorce, you know, we've talked about the denial, the shock, uh, the contrasting emotions, the bargaining, letting go, the acceptance. We've talked about those stages, you know, but what's important is if you're talking about divorce, the bottom line in marriage is you're likely going to get a divorce. If you have an immature partner who thoughtlessly drops divorce at the, ho- at the top of a hat, the other partner that's hearing the word divorce is more than likely figuring out that they're going to have to plan, have a plan B. And so what that means is we're half in the marriage and half out. Part of us wants to be married, so we're going to do all these things to try to make it right. 
And the other part of us is outside the marriage thing. I have to prepare for divorce because I don't know what this crazy maniac is going to do. And so the bottom line is we as people have to be uh, uh, diligent to try to be into our marriage. What that means is marriage is a will or will not proposition. It's not a try. You don't try to be married. There's a back door to try. You just be married. I will be married. I will solve this problem. I will get trust back. I will hold out hope that we're not going to get divorced. I'm going to hold out hope, and I'm going to live there and keep inviting you back. You know, that's the important kind of dialogue we need to have to prevent divorce. You know, but if you're going to prepare for divorce, you need to prepare not emotionally, not just emotionally, but you also need to prepare for the business deal. That means you need to gather your records, gather all your information, because ultimately it's a business deal. You have to navigate your life and figure out what your life's going to look like, how much time you can have with children, where you can live, what you can afford. All these things have to be navigated. It's never a bad idea if your partner starts dropping the D-bomb, the divorce bomb, is to go get an attorney, go consult for free, and basically learn what you have to do to get divorced legally. And then you'll be prepared in your mind if they drop it again and they keep dropping it or if they give you paperwork, then you need to understand that you got to be prepared for it. So having an attorney in your back pocket is never a bad deal. And whose fault's that? The one that keeps saying divorce, divorce, divorce. You know, divorce can be if you have to have it, if you're married to a narcissist, the borderline, a crazy person, whatever it is, obsessive compulsive, you know, it can be an opportunity. And and you have to look at yourself and go, what am I going to do with this opportunity? You ask yourself, uh, what did you want when you were younger? What are you passionate about? What is your purpose in life? And try to realign your life around that. And you'd be surprised how many people don't have passion and purpose especially if they've married an ogre. So the deal is you got to kind of go free think and go, where's my spirit? What fulfills me? What has made me feel loved in my life? What are the things that I yearn for? What are the things that I need from people? You know, if it's time together, maybe you're a people person. Maybe you'd be a great therapist. If it's gifts, maybe giving gifts would be a motivator for you to get a better job and get a life so that you can provide better for your children or better for your family. You know, those kind of things can be important. And you have to understand what your talents are. Your natural talents may not be the talents you've exercised in your life. You know, divorce is the perfect time for someone to take some serious self-reflection, identify their talents, maybe go back to school, maybe join, add a new career to their life, maybe add some things that help them make more money and provide more stability for themselves. I'm not talking about quick fixes. I'm talking about investing in hard, doing the hard thing that makes your life easier. That's an important thing for all of us to do. Do hard. Do hard until your life becomes easier. And the more you can do hard in your life, hard meaning the things that I'm passionate about, things that I have purpose, and I can add expertise to it, the more people are going to seek you out for those talents. Those talents are important. And you want to thrive if you end up divorced or married. Don't count yourself out. You know, uh, people become numb to the whole process because they, they're always in it. But once they get through it, there is life on the other side. So while you're in the mix, if you want to create hope, what you want to do is begin analyzing where your life's going to go after this whole mess is done. 
But you want to keep your head in the process so that you preserve your life ahead of you and for your children. You know, people bringing up divorce can trigger a lot of emotion. It's not common, uncommon for them to build up and leave you feeling emotionally drained. But what also happens with people that talk about divorce is they have a tendency to pull away from their friends or maybe pull to, towards one or two of them, but they're embarrassed to bring them to their home because they're afraid a fight's going to break out. They're embarrassed to go on vacation because they're arguing with each other and they're miserable. They're embarrassed to, to be around things that they have to be with their kids when they're together and hate each other. You know, the funny thing about divorce, the funny thing about doing counseling is basically you can always tell when people still have the reservoir to stay married because they hate each other. You have to love to hate. It's a lot of energy to hate someone. So that means there's love there. But when you have apathy, you're almost at the end. There's almost nothing left. And what's interesting is when people develop a new romantic relationship in their life, and it instills the idea they need to get divorced because they're having an affair and then they're in a honeymoon phase, they're in a toxic phase, they're basically ready to go for apathy because they've got all their love in this other person. Unfortunately, that doesn't always work out because they still don't cherish the new partner, they still don't do all the things that they need, they still don't know how to, how to um, listen. And I will tell you, people will go from marriage to marriage to marriage doing the same things over and over again, paying the consequences, getting divorced, and just fail, fail, fail. And the sad thing is, you know, if you're married, why don't you go to counseling from somebody who's good at it and learn how to be married before you divorce so that you can at least learn how to be married and maybe you'll keep your marriage. There's a lot of tools to help you stay married if you just keep your head in it. But the problem is people don't know how to be married. They follow the models of their childhood. They think they're doing the right thing. They make a lot of compulsive uh, decisions, a lot of stupid decisions, a lot of emotional decisions, say a lot of stupid things. And that's all because they don't know how to be married. That's why premarital counseling, folks, is such a good idea. Premarital counseling offers us a lot of tools to help us understand what the stuff down the road is going to be like that's going to hurt us. Now, that's our show. I want to thank everybody for listening. You know what? I'd, I'd love to hear from you. you. You can do that at voiceamerica.com, the Empowerment Channel, Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Now, remember, divorces are expensive because they're worth it. Also, you never know who you married until you divorce them. And if your spouse thinks they're God and you don't, that's a problem. Also, divorce, when told every day that you're wrong, doesn't work anymore. And the last is marriage is grand, divorce is 100 grand or more. Thanks for listening. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you.